Hello, and thank you for joining us for this very special bonus episode of the Slate Game of Thrones TV Club. Today we're going to be discussing the ending, but also the series as a whole. And uh, my name is Sam Adams. I am the Brabby editor here at Slate. And joining me is Willa Paskin, who is Slate's TV critic. Hi. And Lily Lufro, who is the staff writer at Slate. Hello. Hello. So we're going to talk about the series as a whole, but since the previous episode of this podcast had lots of great and wonderful things to say about the ending, um, and I think we as a group generally don't, <laughs> let's establish, first of all, like where you came down just on the finale, and then we'll talk about the whole show. Willa, you want to go first? Oh, my feelings about it have like changed even in three days, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I think is, I actually sort of want to talk about that, about the weird feeling of like it being this event. And basically, I think there was a thing that, that is true about Game of Thrones, which it had like sort of built up all this momentum and it seemed like it was trying to say something sort of important about the world uh, that maybe was always overdetermined. But to have in the middle of that episode, them just sort of be like, now we're just going to have this like last 40 minutes be this like kind of low key coda where we resolve all these things felt watching it such a weird tonal choice, like just giving up on like itself kind of that I was like what is happening but now it's just like even already it's just like another tv show and I'm like I don't know I guess what was I expecting them to do it like could have been worse yeah it is weird I mean it's not even 72 hours (laughs) since the finale and I can already I could see like the traffic dropping off on the pieces we've published about it and it's just like this massive thing that's been building for eight years and now it's just like like we're done it just like is like moonlighting or any of those things it's like oh we just wanted to get to like where the characters kiss like we just wanted to know how it ends and then you're like oh all right i'm not that interested anymore anyway i basically thought the ending at the time was like pretty funny like it's very just the whole vibe of it was very like lol to me (laughs) um and that is sort of still where i am with it like i i think they made all these kind of mistakes but i they're just, to me, they're really, like, construction mistakes. Like, they didn't write to this ending they knew they had all the time. But, like, the ending, I don't know. I mean... Okay. Lily, where are you at? <laughs> yeah, well, my... Um, yeah, I think my expectations were already low enough that I wasn't... I wasn't very invested either way. So I wasn't... I wasn't mad. Um, it just felt to me like like it actually confirmed what I had not quite fully understood about the show, which is like, I mean, the distinction that I kind of like (laughs) argued was happening was like, I I think I thought that Game of Thrones was attempting to like tell a history, like with analysis and interpretation and argument and philosophy. In the end, it was just like more like something closer to like a medieval chronicle where it's just like one thing happens and then another thing happens and then another thing happens. And that's fine. It's very unambitious. And had I known that from the get go, and had everyone known that from the get-go, I think the ending would have, you know, been okay. Because I don't think in the end the show was making the giant sort of experimental leaps that people thought it was. Right. Why did anyone ever think that, though? Like, this is, I'm really interested in this. Like, was it ever that good? Or, like, how much was just the George R. R. Martin books, like, the hype man for the show? Like, I'm not even saying... I'm not even trying to say, like, when the show was based on his books, it was really good. I just mean, like, how much, like, coaching (laughs) did the books do for sort of this, like, seed audience that then, like, convinced the rest of us that it was always about all of these things? And then we read them into it. 
I mean, I think it definitely started off that way. Like, I, I went to rewatch just uh, for something that I, I wrote today about the character of Bran. I just rewatched the scene from the end of season one, like not an important, uh, particularly important scene, but it's where they're like in the crypts and like and Bran has this vision of like Ned being dead and he is already dead, but the news hasn't hit King's Landing yet. And it's kind of the first hint that he's like has these mystical seeing powers. And it just like the sound was very echoey and the lighting was kind of crap. And it just like reminded you that this was like not this massive like I mean, it was it was a very expensive show is like the most expensive pilot in HBO history. Then they they had to junk most of it. It was the most expensive like reshoots in HBO history. That was before it even got to the air. But it still, you know, wasn't this like enormous kind of semi cinema quality thing that became later. And at the beginning, it looks like kind of a little ragged, like the wigs are bad and some of the shots aren't great. But just like also just even saying that, like about the amount of money it cost, like this is I mean, this is like its legacy in a way, Yeah, <laughs> which is like, we're going to be for like, I, did you see the Apple? It's like Apple is getting into television and it had this upfront where it really just like a two minute trailer with shows and it like features Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston and Steve Carell in this morning show. And then like scenes of like Jason Momoa, like half clad on some like new earth in like right. full like Game of Thrones. And they're like, oh, for the next like 10 years, we're going to be having like these weird like fantasy epics that actually any time before Game of Thrones would have signified like a huge waste of money and effort right. that we're just going to have forever. And it's only going to be like, how do you get the next Game of Thrones? You just spend like billions of dollars on a Lord of the Rings. Like what this thing where like the amount of money spent on the show, like somehow is related to whether the show is good or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like this is Game of Thrones' fault. Right. I mean, it is to a certain extent. And I mean, and it does look like, I mean, one of the things that I've been thinking about is there's this video that's going around on Twitter and probably elsewhere where someone took, um, it's 73 seconds long and they basically cut together like one second from every episode of, of Game of Thrones. And they're just, there are so many kind of, and I hate to use this word, but it is actually appropriate here. So many like iconic images in that there's the shot of like the Night King, like raising his arms and that kind of like, come on, bro stance. And like the, <laughs> um, you know, the dragon, like strafing the the loot train and, you know, and it really did see this with a lot of these incredible images. And I think, you know, that has so much to do with why the show caught on. And I think those were there kind of even at the end. I mean, I think, you know, the image of like Danny laying waste to King's Landing and of Drogon melting the Iron Throne, like that is potentially powerful stuff. It's just that the the kind of like the spell had been broken at that point. Yeah, I, I don't want to like rag on the show too much. Like, I think the yeah. show was like really fun, basically. And and it actually was always really fun to talk about. And the water coolerness of it was rad, mm-hmm. even if it was silly. And I sometimes, and I don't even think it was like that silly. I think in a way, like we built it up. It's not its own fault. But I'm curious, Lily, what you think about this. Like, do you really think that most people watch shows because of how they look? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, th- I think I think you're really right about like, you know, the sort of feedback system that developed because of that initial sort of seed population of, of book readers who kind of built up the lore. And I love that. I became a reluctant expert on this show just because I had to write about it. And But, you know, I, I spent a lot of time on those fan forums and I found myself just wanting more than anything on their behalf for like the show to be good and live up to their expectations because it was cool to see so many like ambitious readings and you want a show that can actually sustain that level of like engagement and analysis, you know, and the, the excuse making for like the narrative mistakes was constant and there was this forever like I don't know procrastinating and and saying well we're going to suspend disbelief on what's going on with Arya or with Sansa or with you know 
Jon Snow because eventually it will all make sense. It will have turned out to be a brilliant double or triple twist that none of us were expecting and that has been signaled and signposted all along. And I think that that mattered a lot more to that population than how it looked, although it looked beautiful. And, it, you know, it is truly spectacular, even like despite its narrative flaws, like it's it's a really pretty show um, when you can see it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it is a really gorgeous show but I am just like maybe just because of my own personal bias like I'm just so skeptical that like ultimately what it looks like is like what people are in it for like I think people are in this stuff for story for like character and then like the fact that it has these moments is like great and maybe how you justify like why it was actually ever good or important like you did justify it in these cinematic like cinematography terms but I don't like I don't think that's what people are in it for I mean, I, you know, I don't think that's the only thing that people are in it for, but I think when people think of, like, Danny riding a dragon and stuff like that, like, I think those ideas kind of, like, resonate with people. Like, But that's I, a character beat to me. Like, well, I just think you could... And also, like, it did look hella... Jam- like, it looked like a video game half the time. Right. Well, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not an either-or thing, but I also... And I also think that's the level on which the show kind of potentially was great. I mean, we definitely saw towards the ending... I mean, there were kind of cracks in the writing all along, mm-hmm. and they definitely became more... You know, because and you kind of suspend disbelief for a while, and this happened kind of with Lost too, where you're just like, oh, well, this is all going to make sense eventually. So maybe these things that like don't quite seem to add up, like let's just see where this is going. And then as we're getting there, and you realize like actually, no, they're not going to like yeah. fix all the stuff that seemed to be wrong. Um, but the level of like the direction of Miguel Sapochnik and Michelle McLaren, and not you know a lot of the minor performances, like I don't think yeah. you know Amelia Clark and Kit Harrington are think just kind of you know fatally limited actors and. I but a lot of like even, you know, Sophie Turner and a lot of the sort of like, you know, second and third tier performances are really great. And that is that's the level at which I think the show is um, at least less impeachable. Yeah, no, it's funny. I mean, this is like this is informative for me because this is like this stuff about visual like leaves me so cold and it yeah. always has. But that's like part of the reason maybe I didn't like the show as, as much as some other people like that to me is like I watch, you know, I said this on Slack, but like I've like adored like Srugim, this Israeli TV show that, I mean, it was like filmed in the 1980s. Like it's like a horrible sitcom. And I'm just like, but I just want to know about the people. Like it doesn't matter. You know, it's an added bonus, but it's not like fundamental to me. I I want to think about a little with you guys. Like one of the things that's so like pointed to me and you've both touched on this is a way that like George R. R. Martin, like the imagined work of his hovers over Game of Thrones like this ghost. I mean, it's like, I don't want to be like too overwrought, but it's almost like, the constitution or something where it's like this imagined ideal of like what America could be is like this imagined ideal of like what Game of Thrones could be this perfect version that will never actually exist. Right. I mean, the ending is being measured against books that aren't even written. And, right? and like that if there they might w- be better. No. Yes. And if they were written would be obviously flawed in all the ways that any existing thing is flawed and in the, in the ways that the books that exist are already flawed. And like, there's something sort of deeply poignant, but also crazy about that to me. Yeah. Well, you know, and honestly, like, I feel like that actually applies retroactively to the first four seasons, too. Like, I mean, I think that there is a weird, like, fetishization of, like, <laughs> the book seasons. And then, you know, the, the very available explanation is, well, then they went off book and they lost their way and they couldn't replicate whatever magic Martin was was able to weave into those initial seasons. But, man, whatever. Those initial seasons, I enjoyed them, but they're super flawed, too. Like, I'm kind of irritated by the consensus, <laughs> you know. And part of the reason they're flawed is because, like, they have stuff he didn't edit like that he needed to like they went to Dorne 
Yeah. Because George R. R. Martin went to Dorne. Like, I promise we shouldn't have gone to Dorne. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, just like this weird, like, kind of side quest <laughs> that didn't end up. I mean, it, it would have made, like, the last tribal council, like, slightly better if we, like, knew who the guy from Dorne was. But that's, like... It's a big ass. Right. But I mean, if you were actually pitching the show from scratch in a network, someone would be like, well, what about three kingdoms? <laughs> yeah. Or something like that. <laughs> but like, why do we need seven kingdoms if we're never going to go to like four of them? Yeah. Totally. I just, it's like this idea of the perfect thing that is obviously not perfect. Yeah. Or would never be perfect. But like people are really invested in thinking is perfect. Like this show just has this in a way like nothing else ever will. Like it's so sweet and it's so wrong. But that, I mean, it's also part of the process and it's one of the things that has been sort of particular to TV where you are like watching, you're experiencing the construction of the story, like n- not in real time, but I mean, this is nine years of our lives that we're looking back on watching this show. Not more than, you know, like 73 hours. You know, this is... I hate this argument. <laughs> what, what's the... I like, oh my God, did we, did we really invest so much time in Game of Thrones? It robbed, like, we gave it some time that we wanted to give it. Anyone no. who has spent like hundreds of hours of their lives on Game of Thrones, like loved every minute of that and like, it's fine. And then it's a TV show. Like, I just, like, the show didn't betray anybody. Everyone was having, I hope, having fun doing this thing about it. If they weren't, they shouldn't have been doing it. Like, it's just such an optional activity to me. Right. No, I'm not making, I'm, I don't think they owe us anything except, like, you know, running out their contracts or whatever. But I'm saying is, you know, we're sort of forced to, like, construct, you know, have some idea or hopes for, like, where the story is going. Because yeah. you can't just, like keep reading it. You have to spend a year kind of thinking about like, oh, what's going to happen next? But that was what was so fun about it. Yeah. I mean, this show did make you at some point just be like, what is going to happen? Like, it was very hard Yeah. as it was going towards the end to just not like literally be thinking about like, oh, how is this going to resolve? Like, it made you play it in a way that if you think that that's a kind of reductive way to watch a show, like, was too bad. But it was just like, we're just powerless not to be like, well, what's going to happen? Like it was channeling us all like into this bottleneck of like being like, where's it going to go? And that's a lot of pressure. I do think like this is just kind of a tangent, but I, I do. A lot of people have been kind of, I think, pitying George Martin because the paralysis that he evidently was already feeling about writing these books can only be like augmented by the fact that, you know, <laughs> he's watching all these different potential endings play out and people lose their minds over them. But I actually just went not too long ago to see Isabella Allende talking to somebody. And it was so funny. Somebody asked her, like, do you, you know, do you hate it when somebody makes a movie of your books and it's terrible? And she was like, no, she was like, when somebody makes a movie of my books I win either way because like if the movie is bad everybody says well the book is so much better but if the movie was great they say huh I guess I should go read the book you know (laughs) it was like oh Martin has just won so big time you know like so much of that is just hierarchical like you just assume the books are better yeah 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 I I mean it does feel like he might be in a special situation where he's like extremely sensitive to I mean like that they're not finished puts him in a worse spot yeah. Right. And then and he's apparently totally in the weeds. I mean, Isaac, Isaac Butler wrote a piece for us about like how the reason, you know, the show had so much trouble finishing the story is George R.R. R. Martin apparently can't because there's actually no good way to like land this whole thing. I mean, the show might like honestly be instructive for him. Like, yeah, totally. you know what you have to keep. Right. Like. So that you can make the end work. That like is in the best rec- case scenario. When I was writing about the finale, this is what I ultimately found really frustrating about it is like. If you know where your story is going, right? Like, if you know it's going where Danny turns into a tyrant and Jon Snow kills her and then Bran becomes king. Like, there are ways to foreshadow that 
It's like you wrote the script. Now go back and like foreshadow it. And they just didn't do that. And that may actually also be a function of like they actually couldn't go back and foreshadow some of it because they were writing in like such a crazy pace. But it just seems like you should be able to direct our attention in a way that makes those things seem sort of like inevitable in the satisfying way. And the fact that they didn't at all like just really strikes me as being bad writing that I expect that George R. R. Martin like that would not happen in the books because he actually is writing to that ending in a sort of more leisurely way. Right. And I, I mean, you wrote in your in your piece about the finale, you wrote about there's been, you know, discussion kind of going up to this about the distinction between, you know, sort of a fixed ending and, you know, the way TV usually works, which is you just maybe, you know, the last line or the last scene or something like that. But you kind of evolve the show with the characters and famously like the character of Ben Linus on Lost was going to be like a one season guest episode. And they were like, oh, this guy's really good. And then he became like the major antagonist for like three yeah. seasons. And Game of Thrones couldn't do that. They couldn't be like, you know what? The guy we have playing Bran is like not that great. Like maybe Sansa should be queen instead. I feel like they did do that with Bran though. Like Bran had no business being there. <laughs> And like, right. it just feels like he became a fan favorite who they they, they did that for. No, I, I also just think like, I'm saying to you, I think they could have written to Bran, even if he's not a great actor, like they did to Danny, sort of, and to like Jon Snow. Like, like initially, I was like, let's drag George R. R. Martin. <laughs> like, this is a terror. They couldn't have written their way out of this ending. But I, when I was thinking about it more, I'm like, they could have written to it much better. Like, they could have made him less of a cardboard nothing for eight episodes. Yeah, the Danny twist, you could absolutely look back, and it was very funny to see Tyrion in the finale, like, doing what everybody had been doing for a week. Like, here are the 12 places where she burned people <laughs> yeah. and did the things that show this. But you look back, I don't see any like track laying for King Bran in this story. And like there should have been track laying. Like it might have been unsatisfying anyway, but that just seems like sort of writerly incompetence. I mean, I think that one of the real differences between the guys and Martin is that Martin is so, and maybe this encourages like the constitutionalist reading of like Martin's text versus what Benioff and Weiss are doing is that like, Martin is so detail oriented, right? And he's like extremely like big on <laughs> the lore, uh, so to speak. But these guys just keep contradicting what they've told us in their own show. Like they seem so totally weirdly not fluent in the terms that they themselves have set up on their own show with their own writing that it's actually really baffling. <laughs> so you, you have a really bizarre tension between two totally different kinds of authors who are like, competing and kind of like fighting to tell the same story and the style and intricacy of one bears just no relation to the sort of spectacle oriented thing the other authors are doing and I think it produces this like totally baffling effect for fans like right how can Brand say like oh I don't have time to be Lord of Winterfell and then like a month later be like yes I will be king of six kingdoms and I always knew you'd ask (laughs) yes and that's why I'm here they wrote both those lines yeah (laughs) I wonder if there's a way in which, like, being in charge of the actual production, this is me talking on my butt, but, like, there is this way that, like, actually marshalling the details to actually make these shows (laughs) might have, like, internally almost, like, looked like that detail. Do you know what I mean? Like, that there's, like, some... There's some way that they were, like, focused on actually getting the show out the door that must have actually required attention to, like, 50,000 details that might have turned actually writing the show into, like, one of those details yeah. and not, like, the big detail. So, like, if you're in it, you're like, these guys actually are like George R. R. Martin in the sense they're, like, paying attention to literally construction of this show where the problem is that, like, for the viewer, the writing is such a big part of the outward-facing structure 
And like all the little details that go into it, they sort of all meld together. And like, you know, we know it was filmed on 10 continents with a bajillion extras, but like whatever that was, like that huge lift, we can't like see that huge lift. And that's like where their like Martin-esque intensity was like directed in some way. I just really wish they hadn't done the inside the episode featurettes because those are the problem. (laughs) (laughs) That's where they keep on like doing the stupidest possible recaps of their own show in terms that deny what the show itself seemed to be like telling us and and often like actually contradicting like cinematic grammar that they seemed to be operating in. And so had they not done that, I think the show would have seemed a lot better than it was. But but because they kept doing that and saying things like, you know, famously, Danny forgot about the Iron Fleet, even though you'd seen her be reminded in the previous scene. Like, I can't tell if there's a slightly trollish aspect where they're just so sick of the really detail-oriented fans that they actually maybe take a perverse pleasure <laughs> in getting details wrong just because it'll, like, incense people. Or if you're right and they have so many balls up in the air that they just can't be bothered to keep those details straight and decide that this would be a fun little commentary afterwards that had the weird effect of like creating a documentary that is totally at odds with the show. I don't know. I think, I mean, I think they made something that at least in some cases and, you know, been because it's not just them, because it's all these other people, you know, other writers in addition to, you know, cast and crew and what and whatnot. But I mean, I think, you know, Benioff and Weiss made something by all appearances smarter than they are. Um, no way. Those dudes, I guarantee you, are super duper smart. All right. This is why I actually suggest like no one who ever writes about TV ever speak to a showrunner. Those people are all so smart. They think about stories all the time. Benioff is like a novelist. Like, if you sat in a room with those dudes and talked about something else, they're really smart. How could you not have that job and become like kind of exhausted, even as you also appreciate like the obsession and and also the fact that you're being compared to something that doesn't exist? Well, I mean, I you know, I think I mean, I think it is easy to overlook, and there are a lot of people who come in and say, "Oh, these guys are like such shitty writers," and it's like, well, they, yeah. I mean, they did make a show that for like I don't know sixty odd episodes before everybody hated the last three or whatever, like was the show that like was huge and pe- and and you, the people who are now so angry at them, like profoundly cared about. So if they're such terrible writers, like why do you care about their show at all? I mean, it's just like their strength, I think, especially in these shows, was not the writing exactly. The writing got. I think, real bad. But like every other piece of the spectacle, that's them. Well, yes, Lily was talking about this before, but some of at least what seemed to be the the kind of big ideas that this thing was about, that this is actually like not just, you know, a chronicle or a story about like Ned Stark and his numerous kids. You know, this is like a treatise about like the nature of power and statecraft and society. In the end, I mean, it does seem they fell back on this very, you know, TVS, like, oh, it's all about the characters. Well, this, I mean, this arrangement, this like sort of multi-authorship of the show, like it's actually really interesting to me because I don't, like they have this position, right, of like the showrunner slash auteur, except they're not the auteurs of this, right? George R. R. Martin is in our like imaginations. And and their sort of seeming misunderstanding or disinterest in like the grander themes of the show, I think like did introduce this sort of tension with the audience, right? Where like we're sort of in some antagonistic relationship with the show, but not with the books. And like that tension as the series sort of went on and they seemed to be like going somewhere so much more simplistic than like who you were expecting became really pronounced. Even though I think if you actually look at the text of the show, a lot of those simplistic stuff readings were like always there. It's just we didn't really believe it because 
we thought Martin was actually like the guiding spirit of the series. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why like I I am not. I take your point that they are smart people. I'm sure they are. But um, but the reason that I don't actually give them as much credit for the early... I, do, I don't think the story is that the fans were on board and then suddenly turned because of the last few episodes. I think the last few episodes retroactively undermined the entire thing for a lot of those fans. So like, I, I don't think it was a local pivot. I think it was that for years and years, exactly what you're saying, right? Like the fans thought that there was going to be this huge payoff, that, that this was a really intricate story that like merited their detailed attention. And it just became resoundingly clear in episode in season eight in a way that I thought was clear by season six. So that's why I've been a crouch about this show for a while. But like, I think that they thought that they were following something epic and amazing that would teach them things and, and, and cooperate with them in like the experimental philosophy of like what makes a good leader and what makes a good government and what should politics actually look like. And in fact, it was about none of that. And that's this is just because like I sympathize intensely with those fans and I hate that they're crushed. <laughs> are they crushed? Like what are those fans feeling right now? Like I don't no. Okay, so in part, they're saying, like, really touching goodbyes to each other on the fan forums, where they're like, it's been a great 10 years, guys. Um, keep in touch. You know, like, it's very Aww. sweet. <laughs> it's very. I felt a little sad when they, we had a we had a channel in Slack here devoted to Game of Thrones, and it was I felt a little sad when it got archived I think it was yesterday. archived a little prematurely. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, we still have the making of documentary, like, we're still, and, I, and yeah, but I, I felt like a little pang. But are they sad? Are they mad, I mean? Or are they just, like bittersweet well i think what what i so whatever like i i I read three of them afterwards with you know various levels of interest and intensity and 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 what was kind of devastating to me after the finale is normally the next day there are just thousands of theories about what this portends and what it could explain and remember back in season two episode three when so-and-so said xyz and it's set up you know there are all these incredible you know dissections and people taking such pleasure in being ultra experts on this and trying to like make arguments with each other for what is really going on and there was just kind of like a calm sea the next day there was just like a well i guess it was none of that like there there was just a, a kind of heartbreaking lassitude <laughs> mm-hmm. that felt very like they, you know they weren't being nasty they were like very grateful to the cast and crew for be- doing such a good yeah. job you know but like 80 percent of the comments discussing the finale were just deeply disappointed and i've seen some kind of fan theories that about like oh like bran was being like secretly controlled by blood raven and this is like and yeah. this is all like some sort of like long game to put like this weird you know undead creature in charge of the throne and it's just like Aww. it's this really valiant attempt to make the ending more complicated than it is but i love that like I- like, there's just always a fallacy in fan communities that, like, there is some text that's going to be as satisfying as, like, what devoted people, the crazy and interesting things they will think of. Right. I mean, I think fan communities, like, they tend to need material to, like, feed them. But the stuff they come up with is, like, always more interesting, <laughs> sort of. And that's not just true of Game of Thrones. And I just, like, wish we could... I, like, wish for them they, like, didn't need the authors. I mean, what I, like, this is... I think this is about TV all the time. This is, like, the Sopranos thing. It's, like, whatever you want to think happened at the end of The Sopranos. It's fine. Think it. Like, whatever. Yeah. It's cool. You don't have to... Like, you don't need, like, the word from on high. <laughs> Right. And then, I mean, then, and actually, I mean, not to divert it too much, but like that actually is the end of The Sopranos. It's like <laughs> kind of like David Chase being like, you want Tony Wack, like do it yourself. Like, I'm right. not going to do it if you you can make the call. Like, I'm Right. And people do- are so uncomfortable with that. And the thing about Game of Thrones is like, so it didn't do that at all. It like gave us some ending 
we'll see how long it lasts. But like the fact that these books like could exist, like it keeps hope alive, right? That like there's some version of this that will be satisfying. And in the meantime, like I will be interested to see like what happens to the fan community, like with this hope that there's like still material to come. I mean, do you think, do you think just looking at this sort of final season or final seasons, um, you know, as a whole, I mean, one of the kind of theories that came up is that, oh, maybe this should have been 20 episodes instead of 13 or, you know, 10 instead of six. And I wonder if some of that is just a proxy for like, oh, we, you know, we could have accepted the Danny turn, but they just didn't do it right. I mean, it's, you know, and it could have been no better, but is some of that just a proxy for like, we just don't like this? Well, I mean, I think this just goes back to what I said, like they should have laid the track. The fact that they showed so little interest in laying the track doesn't make me think that if they'd had 20 episodes, they would have. Do you know what I mean? Like, you don't need that much track. <laughs> like, they had probably enough time. Or they should have killed the White Walkers, like, in the first episode. Like, they right. could have done a bunch of foreshadowing that they basically didn't do any of. Like, would they have done some of it if they had more episodes? Like, I just... like you would be even more frustrated that they didn't if they'd had 20 episodes. I mean, there. I think there is a bunch of, ex- like, as with all shows, there's all this extra textual stuff happening. And, like, my completely not based in reality sense of, like, what is happening on Game of Thrones is that this became this, like, huge beast that these men making the show and all the characters and actors and making the show were like, we can't keep making the show. Like, we have to be done with the show is, like, hanging over all of our lives. And, like, there's never going to be enough time. Like, this is the time that we're going to do it in. And, like, there was a lot of extra textual reasons to, like, be done in this period. And I don't think that the thinking about, like, what was necessarily best for the story was, like, paramount. But I also don't know that it would have made a difference. I mean, I think for me, like, my personal answer to some of that stuff just varies wildly depending on the outcome. So, like, Daenerys' thing, I could totally have accepted had it been written (laughs) but for example the night king thing no like i I don't understand what that was all about and i don't understand why that was set up to be like the giant cosmic threat and there's no number of episodes that would have made that weird totally anticlimactic outcome that didn't address anything about like the art they made the weird spirals or like the officers who were white walkers and different from the whites or like the babies from Craster, like, you know, the fact that none of that got explained or like investigated or it's that it lacked any significance at all. And that it's one point of intersection with Bran, which was like, this is where magic meets politics resulted in literally not a single word being uttered. Like, I don't think they had anything for that. Like, I don't think. Well, I think it's worse than that, actually. I think like that incident, if you watched that, you would misread the show. You wouldn't misread the show. I think you would, in fact, read the show completely correctly. But it is, like, totally oppositional to what the reading of the show or the reading of Martin books is, right? Like, that story turned out to be such a boilerplate superhero saga, right? Where it's, like, there is a big bad that will, like, be defeated by a superheroic Arya at, like, great cost, but, like, not that great, right? Like, it is, it's like a, it's a Marvel movie dropped into Mm -hmm. this thing that supposedly had a sort of more complicated and cynical morality and if you watch that i really think like that is the incident that like led people to believe that danny would be good i mean in addition to like all the writing of that danny would be good and that like thinking that any show that did the white walker storyline would like result in some happy ending for like your strong female characters like was reading the leaves like was reading it totally correctly it's just like 
it it wasn't that show because it had someone else writing some parts of it. Right. And that may be one of those one of those areas like where we just brought too much for it because it was, oh, like the White Walkers are climate change. And this is this existential threat that humanity fails to unite against. So this is the solution to climate change. Like you stab the climate change boss in the chest. But it's like the reason you give this existential threat a corporeal form is so that he can be attacked like a person. Right. I mean, Lily's desire for like the show to have ended with the Night King winning, right? Was that, am I going to make that up? No. I mean, that like scans with what the Night King actually like seemed like a symbol of. If, if you make him someone who can die, then he ceases to be a metaphor for like the thing he's a metaphor for. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But like what would have been the satisfying ending to that storyline? Like is, can we even imagine one? He should have won. I really do think he should have won. Like, I think, like, having a servant <laughs> of the, all the of the seven kingdoms, like, of all of that territory that we've fetishized in those opening credits forever and have it just all be overrun with White Walkers or just, like, dead and silent with nothing but snow, I think that would have been so devastating and pretty original. I don't know. It would have been. People would have hated it. would have hated that. it. And then, I mean, and you do have to sort of ask, like, what's, I mean, like, we know humanity's fucked already. Do we need to spend, <laughs> like, 73 hours of HBO to tell right, like, us is, that? Is there some answer that's in between those things? Right. Like, is there a way to beat the Night King that's, I mean, I think the Arya is, like, the super extreme, like, it's the simplest version of it. It is, it seems to me that the great man theory of, like, history, that the Arya thing, like, presupposes is extremely wrong, right? Like that there had been some even group effort to kill him. That would have been better. Or a more or a more like a deeper sacrifice. I mean, I feel like that is one and I, I guess we don't want to spoil a different thing in this one, but like just to say like the, the ending of Avengers Endgame, there was like meaningful sacrifice at right. the end of that movie in order to defeat this like giant existential threat. It wasn't just like, oh, you just need to punch him harder. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 Really practice your knife drop. You got it. <laughs> yeah. I think the White Walker was like, were like a very strange mislead. And I actually would be interested to see how Martin would handle that. And I, and I, th- I mean, there is something... I don't think the show landed this. I mean, there is something interesting about that. Like, and this is just really a theoretical thing, but if you read that as like a purposeful anticlimax, like they were focusing on the wrong threat. And it turns out that like Danny, like we were the greatest danger to ourselves all along. Like there's something interesting in that and of kind of a society losing itself in the pursuit of this, you know, sort of exaggerated threat, which is, I mean, historically happened all the time, but like they weren't, wrong about the Night King being dangerous. It wasn't like, you know, the communist menace or something. I mean, I feel like us slipping into this territory I find annoying, but like can't stop myself from doing, which is we're like, let's rewrite this show. Like, here's what I wanted it to be. I could see if you made that show, you'd find that annoying. But that said, like to go down that road, there's like this whole metaphor of like, what happens to Cersei who like doesn't agree to help? But then it's like if she had actually benefited in some huge way from not contributing to like the greater good that also to me is like a more interesting ending or like a more interesting place to go where it's like yeah we already have this mad queen she doesn't do it all the dragons die and then she's like yeah i beat you like you you took care of this thing for me and i i'm gonna just benefit like you know even if that ending is still sort of like small like at least it's like it directly leads to like sacrificing the greater good might mean you just sacrifice for some bad shit and it seemed for a while again like cersei was going to have been right you know like oh actually they did like kind of wipe out their armies and now they don't have 
an advantage over Cersei anymore. And even in that sort of after the episode thing, you know, Benioff is like, oh, we're witnessing at the Battle of Winterfell. He's like, we're witnessing, you know, the end of the Dothraki. Yeah. And then like the next episode, it's like they just respond <laughs> somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, talking about it this way does always make me feel like it was really hard to write to the ending that they had. With the show they had, there's just a lot more interesting ways they could have gone. And like they couldn't have gone that way. Because, I mean, I don't know that they would have gone that way if they could have done anything they wanted to do. But, like, they didn't have a choice. And, like, a lot of that is their writing problem. But, like, it's like Martin hasn't written it either, you know? Like, that's the thing. Like, he has the end, but he hasn't written to it. If he didn't have to tell somebody the end, would it have changed in his writing? You know, it's like, but we, I mean, it's like you, yeah. think you, you think you know the conclusion of your piece and then you get there and you're like, that's not the conclusion. Yeah. You write the ending first and then you just get to the end. Your editor's just like, oh, cut that. Or you're like, that was good for then, but it's not the piece I wrote. Like, and he tra- like he's trapped in the ending too. Like, they're tra- like he didn't get there. He doesn't know if it works. But I think honestly, like to the extent that the, that the Night King had any function at all, it was to big up Bran. That was the thing he could have done, right? Like, I mean, Bran's relationship with the Night King because of the weird touch on the arm during the vision or whatever, like bespoke some cosmic connection that could in some way explain why Bran is the dude who should for some reason end up right where he ends up. And they had that opportunity and made Bran totally extraneous to it. It's such a boff. I mean, there's nothing to say about that except like, yes. Like they, they you, weren't written into You're not partner. surprised by your ending. Write something for Bran in this scene with the Night King. Just yeah. do something. I, don't, I, don't, I just don't feel like they were written into a corner. Like they had a giant opportunity right there. <laughs> like, you know, like. Right. Because if you if you reread that moment kind of in retrospect and, you know, the Night King's whole purpose, like maybe wasn't to like wipe out humanity and like, you know, freeze all of Westeros. His goal was just to kill Bran. If Bran is the one who's going to be the king and, you know, yeah. like then that whole thing is just the whole, whole point of the battle is is just about Bran. Yeah. It's really bad. That part, <laughs> that part is actually just really bad. <laughs> and like it wouldn't have taken like to me, I'm like, that's not. That's not 20 episodes problem. That's like a five minute problem or like a 15 minute problem in the episode you made. Right. I mean, I think that that thing like, oh, the season was too short. I mean, there, you know, there could have been more scenes here and there, but I think they had the time and they just instead they spent it on like, you know, Tormund talking about like suckling at a giant's teat, you know, which is not like a scene I regret. But it was like considering yeah. the things that could have been in there that would have served a more like utilitarian purpose is a strange choice. What is like your guys feeling about? Tyrion and like where the show ended with him. Well, I mean, I saw somebody <laughs> say that you could retell this story as the story of the man who like killed his entire family and his ex girlfriend and then ended up as the most powerful <laughs> right hand man of the kingdom. <laughs> like, I mean, I think, I think Tyrion, the extent to which the show kept on flagging Tyrion as brilliant and then showed him his every suggestion turn out to be wrong will never not baffle me. And so I have actually no idea what to think of the fact that the show, I think, straightforwardly wants us to consider his idea at the end to be A, a good one, and B, his, his spiel about the story to be taken at face value, which I think it does. Like, Tyrion was somehow immune to the levels of irony that other characters were sometimes saddled with, and less and less as the season went on, but but still, and uh, Tyrion's unending incompetence and and wrongness, and the fact that like he gave Bronn the Riverlands to save his own skin, and that's fine. Wait, was it the no? It was Highgarden, wasn't it? Highgarden. Yeah, it's Highgarden. Yeah. I, I'm just astonished at the fact that he is, I think, supposed to be the sane lens um, at the end and the correct narrator of these events. 
I mean, this is a, this is a somewhat you know twisted reading of the ending, and it has I think stems in part from my sort of just lack of interest in the way it actually ends up. Like I was thinking Sunday night, like what do I have to write about this? And I think I was just so underwhelmed by the finale that it like sucked all the <laughs> desire to say anything about it out of me, and it took like several days to come up with something that I could actually feel mm-hmm. about but it did really strike me thinking about that last image of Tyrion at the head of the table like when everyone else is trying to get to work and he's cracking jokes about like you know brothels and honeycomb is he's basically like running a writer's room at that point and Bran is sort of like the HBO executive being like oh well I just came in to see everything's fine no you know how to run this thing you take care of it and so you know the fact that Tyrion is this guy who like keeps fucking things up and yet the show keeps telling us is like a genius and is making all the right decisions and is the storyteller who is like telling the most important story about it's not going to get the credit, you know, it's not even like in the book itself. He is like a weird, you know, proxy for maybe writers in general or specifically the writers of this show. I like way. that reading. Yeah. yeah. I, and this made me just maybe there's like some bigger idea we can work towards, which I like I've also been thinking about, which is sort of like this tier online. Like we tell ourselves, I mean, we tell ourselves stories in order yeah, to live. What, what, whatever you, he what says. unites us stories. Yeah. Which is like just so hammy and garbage, whatever. I have been thinking about the extent to which the political readings of Game of Thrones are like us putting all these political readings on Game of Thrones, like made us elevate it in some way, like above pop culture, right? Like we did some communal effort to elevate it sort of like into a world that's actually adjacent to politics. I mean, you mentioned, Lily, like this idea that it was actually going to tell us something important and interesting or meaningful, insightful about like literally like the arrangement of humans in power and how the conclusion of this show like I think like crashes it very completely back into the realm like wholly of entertainment but also like there's some there's some way that I think like we conned ourselves into having so much fun thinking about a tv show like we pretended that that was like something more serious and meaningful and important both because the actual politics that we have are like too distressing, but also just as a way to like excuse ourselves of thinking about something so inessential in this like really serious time. The like the weird Game of Thrones is so important thing. Like, what was that? We spent a lot of time and words on a thing that like is a medium story. This is like this is like the morning after. Like, what did I do last night? Yeah, but but like I, I just right. I mean I think there's lots of things about it, but I don't like I. Th- I think we did a weird thing <laughs> like I, that we'll probably do again. Like, it's not that I don't think culture is important, but to convince ourselves that it's of the same importance as like actual politics and life. I mean, I think I think I would say that the show announced that ambition, you know, early on and specifically with like Ned Stark's <laughs> lessons, which were then undermined by his beheading or confirmed in the end. I don't know. But to me, the only interesting thing about Game of Thrones has always been its fans. And I think that for a lot of people, this was really their first serious effort to think about political philosophy for better or for worse. I just think that's true. (laughs) And I think that that's important, actually, for us. But like, do you think they'll keep thinking about political philosophy now that their TV show is done? Uh, I don't know the answer to that, but I think they might. I think it's a habit of 10 years. (laughs) I don't know. Like, I think, um, 
that's the, the faint optimism that I have about like the function that this served is like, I, I do think that at least in the beginning, it seemed like more of an open invitation rather than a closed system to think about what they think. Is Ned Stark right? Is Cersei right? Is Tywin the, you know, and, and for better or for worse, I feel like the more people who are actually thinking about that stuff right now, like whatever, it is a raw and stupid political education. <laughs> but I think that there has been a lot of like passivity and impotence um, in like American politics. So like, maybe that's a good thing that people have, been working through that in a fictional universe? I don't know. I mean, my the, my cynical answer to that is like, actually, instead of making people think about politics, it's just been like another stepstone in making politics entertainment, right? So like you actually what you see is politicians communicating in the language of Game of Thrones because it makes them seem down to earth and whatever. And the show becomes like a way to make politics fun without actually changing any of them. Right. So you have like like Elizabeth Warren and Kristen Gillibrand oh, yeah. like weighing in on, you know. Right. So not... like it's just like, ooh, Game of Thrones can make politics like seem entertaining. Or you sort of like you get into this stuff that was inevitable about character because it's a fiction where you're like, does the Senate in Alabama like do they really think that abortion at six weeks, like in the cases of rape is bad or are they just up to something strategic? And you're like, actually, some of those questions are interesting in the context of fiction, but less interesting in the context of actual life, where, like, motivations matter, but not as much as what you actually do. And, like, this thing where we're like, does Trump really think all these terrible things, or is he just, like, being strategic? Like, there's some ways that thinking about things as stories is bad. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And so... I think when actual politicians start talking about Game of Thrones, no, no. Like, for me, that's a hard no. (laughs) But, like, I just think that that... that, Like, I just think it's very muddy. You know, so for whatever it gave people in a political education, it continued to entertainmentify the shit that, you know, shouldn't be, but is. (laughs) Um, So Tyrion advances the idea in the finale. Someone asks, you know, how he knows if he made the right decision. You know, selling... Bran being on the throne actually going to work out? And he says, well, ask me again in 10 years. Um, So 10 years from now, are we still going to be talking about Game of Thrones? Is this going to be a show with a kind of profound and lasting legacy? Or is this going to be like this weird thing that wake up for and have to like explain to our children that people really liked once? I think it's going to age very poorly. Um, I think it's going to be an embarrassing thing that people look back on. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's like it's always been like a mid-tier TV show that had like a capacity for epicness and people really loved. But like, I think that's sort of what it is. There was like a, there was a lot of external pressures about the arrangement of like the entertainment industry and the television industry and the media industry to like keep creating content about it. <laughs> and that that content and the, the appetite for it ceased to be reflective of its actual quality, um, but was reflective of its like, just of like how much you could think about it. And you see people being like, this is the greatest show of all time. And you're like, that is just not true. Right. But I mean, we did spend energy on it like it was, but that just like isn't the case. I don't know that the ending quite like ruins it the way like Lost genuinely, I think, like fully undermined the show. And I could imagine, you know, people will watch like four seasons of it and be like, this was like a fun thing I was binging. But I don't think like it's not actually good, you know, but it, it never was. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, I think the phenomenon of it will will last. I mean, the show itself, you know, you have to to wonder a little bit. And I know some people are going to listen to this and think that we're just like crazy or something. But, but it's like uh, there is just like it is like a perfect poptimist example of TV, right? right. Like 
we did take it seriously because it was so popular. And and there's lots of interesting things in things that are so popular. And it was fun. To, it was fun to take it seriously. Yeah. Like I, even when I didn't like the show, yeah. I really enjoyed it's... writing about it and reading about it. It was not like yeah. the Walking yep. the Walking Dead, where it's yes. like, fuck, we have to write about this because everybody watches it. Yeah, and, then... and like like that water cooler thing, it is fun. But like that is not the same as like we just. I think we just have so little practice now with things being genuinely popular that we like want things that are genuinely popular to always be like really good. And it's just like those things are not always connected. And in this case, they're not connected. I mean, it's not bad. Like the fact that you could think about this so much, even if it came to no end, is a sign of its sort of complicatedness, if not its quality. You know, it's not a great TV show. It never was a great TV show. Like, I think it, it will sort of come to the middle of the pack. Yeah, it was a show that sort of often like pointed at very interesting things, but yeah. did not actually go there. I mean, I think its legacy is also just going to be like a ton of money <laughs> bad shows yes. that have like yeah. gajillions of dollars and casts of like gajillions of people set in like some non reality that's totally right yeah i mean i think it's going to be the end of like you know small indie ish prestige tv and the beginning of a long long slog of giant set piece tv i don't think it'll be it's like the, it, you sort of can imagine it being like the movie industry it's like the end of the middle Right. Yeah. That's true. Although, I mean, you know, the fact that, I mean, people have already had seven years to make the next yeah. Game of Thrones and no one has come anywhere close. So I am I am but skeptical. It, I mean, it's so much money that I just think like no one has even really tried. Right. But uh, yeah, Amazon like reworked its whole content strategy to put all its money behind Lord of the Rings. And there are definitely like people seriously throwing enormous amounts of cash into vast bottomless wells in the hopes of. Yeah. I don't know. It was like kind of a fun thing we all did, you know, like it just like that's like what I think it is. Like, I hope that's how we remember it. Like, oh, that was like this fun thing we all did. Like, oh, we all liked this kind of like garbagey TV show a ton. Yeah. It's like the time we all went to Spain. It was great. You know, like we had some good times. Yeah. It doesn't need to be more than that, right? (laughs) No, like I think I really think that that is in the text of the finale. Or it's like the show being like, it didn't need to be all that. Just like whatever. It's going to be some jokes about like. Horse. Yeah. Like, it's cool. That's like what we want to go out on. And you're like, okay, yeah, could have been worse. <laughs> All right. On that note, thank you, Willa Paskin. <laughs> thank you. Anna Lufbro. <laughs> thank you for having me. <laughs> and thank you, Slate Plus listeners, for making this podcast and so much else that we do here And if possible. you loved this TV show, like, that's cool. That's great. I'm glad you loved it. I'm sorry we were shitty about it. <laughs> we love you, too. We also enjoyed this TV show. I right? love the fans. I am very pro-fan. Yes. <laughs> Uh, Our producer's been Chow too, and now our content is ended. (laughs) 